Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, a uh, little bit of departure from our normal uh, kind of scattering uh, that exists over the summer. We're going to have a kind of a one-topic conversation here focused predominantly on recruiting and the Saturday Night Live event that Florida State just wrapped up. A lot of different uh, recruits uh, to speak on, some that have uh, transferred from recruits to commitments and other kids at Florida State's placed themselves in a, uh, a much better position than maybe they were going into the weekend. So, as always, thank you to our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Fantastic product, that is, Louisiana Hot Sauce. Uh, very lucky that we are able to uh, pair with them, work with them, and brag about something that the uh, two of us authentically enjoy. And, uh, as always, want to give a tip of the hat to our title sponsor uh, before we jump into a little weekend recap here. This show is going to be hot. It just makes sense it, that it is presented by Louisiana Hot Sauce. Uh, we have a lot to get to tonight, and we want to get this to you early in the morning. So, what do you say we start with a new business, and that means new commits, uh, Anger? Three on the weekend that were uh, were public, and we'll we'll start with those first, and then we'll get to the two uh, the two silent commits, and uh, heck, there may even be more, to be honest. So, uh, first up, we have Lloyd Willis, offensive tackle. Yes, I said offensive tackle, not maybe a tackle, maybe guard. No, like just straight out offensive tackle. Lloyd Willis, six foot six, six foot seven, uh, close to 300. If you look at him right now, just being totally honest here, he's not yet a very good football player. He is, however, like I said, six, 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 seven, close to 300 pounds and pretty darn athletic. He's a guy who I got to watch a lot. I was down on the field, um, you know, during the warmups, and then obviously went up in the stands to take video and whatnot. And uh, very impressed with how he moved, but also very attentive to Coach Randy Clements, the offensive line coach, taking coaching. He's a guy who understands he has to learn, get better, improve, and, and he was eager eager to do that. I spoke with him after the event, and I said, uh, this is really quick interview because he had to jump in a car. I said, Lloyd, what, uh, why Florida State? He said, well, it's Florida State, and it just felt like home to me. I said, all right, <laughs> there you go, and that was really that. Um, offered list, not great. I think he had FAM, uh, FIU, a couple other things, but clearly Florida State has seen some stuff in him that they like. To me, he's not an early impact kid because of how raw he is. Uh, he's one of the kids in this class who I, I would project to be uh, a little bit higher ceiling, to be honest, because he has not played very much football. He has played a good amount of basketball. Uh, and I know you and I have discussed on this show before the need to balance out your your floor kids with your ceiling kids, assuming that you're not going to be, you know, like 2010 Alabama and have nothing but, you know, elite ceiling, elite floor kids throughout the entire class. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's a, it's a pretty <clears throat> athletic prospect with a, a good build on him. Uh, myself personally, always, uh, a couple high schools down in Miami that when you see, you, uh, know that you are probably, probably in the right area when it comes to targeting kids. I'd include Killian in that, maybe not quite the talent producer that others are, but, uh, uh, good to get kids down in that area. And if Florida State had a chance to evaluate them, look at them and comfortable extending a commitment, uh, I have, have confidence that that was a, a good decision and, We'll be interested to see what Mr. Willis uh, develops into over the years. Uh, another offensive tackle uh, that committed to Florida State over the weekend, a uh, kid from the uh, the west coast of Florida, 
uh, or the uh, Gulf Coast of Florida. Thomas Schrader, uh, offensive tackle, what about six five two eighty, bud, somewhere in that area. Yeah, he said he was six four and a half, I think two eighty three. So Mr. Schrader is nothing if not specific. This was, I think, his fourth visit to uh, to Florida State in the last. I don't know. Let, let's call it uh, in, in twenty eighteen. Uh, he's a guy we, we've spoken about previously. We've been tracking. Now, they like him at offensive tackle. They also like him at guard. Heck, he may, may even be able to play center. The number one thing they like is his versatility, as, as he explained to us. Um, funny story here. So I go and I and I, you know, I think he's a good player. Uh, to me, he's almost the exact opposite of Willis in that I think he is very much a, a high floor guy, a guy who I think – assuming he keeps putting on good weight, he's going to have a chance to come in. And if you had a spot where he needed to come in and give you a couple hundred snaps as a true freshman, might be able to do so. Uh, his family loves Florida State. They offered the, they offered his brother a preferred walk-on spot. I had a chance to chat with his other brother, who is a, a baseball player. He had actually had Tommy John, um, and uh, the other brother was telling me that uh, not not Thomas had Tommy John, but the, the brother who's the baseball player. He's a, like I think he's probably 20 or 21. Um, he had wasted his first year of college because they were telling him he didn't need Tommy John, and then he went and got a second opinion. And the guy's like, "Yeah, you need Tommy John." Um, and then he had like a like a frayed labrum issue. But you know, he was saying really the whole family really likes Florida State a whole lot. But Thomas just doesn't say a whole lot, you know. And so I get the go- chance to go talk to Thomas, and uh, I'm thinking, well, this kid's got to commit, right? He, he's got to finally shut it down. It's his fourth visit. He had a good time. The whole family's up here. They're, they're talking to Randy Clements. They're, they're really enjoying it at, at this Saturday Night Live event. And uh, and so first thing, I'll, I'll, first question off the bat, hey, do, do you know, are, are you going to shut it down soon? Do you know where, where you're going to go? And he said, uh, no, you know, I really really don't feel ready. Um, I, I think I need to wait and see um, how both Florida State and Louisville do this year and see who, see who shows improvement. And you know what? That didn't last very long because the next morning and next morning he goes ahead and commits to Florida State Sunday morning. Now, I understand, of course, what he was thinking there. Here's the other issue, right? Thomas Schrader's a good player. I'm I'm not going to act like they wouldn't have a spot for him in this class, but they already had they already had three in the fold. They're still high on on Isaiah Walker and and a few other elite kids. What what happens if Florida State bursts out the gate at like six and one this year? And their phone's kind of ringing off the hook. Because you give this staff a winning record and, and some momentum to build on, you know, they, one of their main selling points was recruiting. We know they can recruit. It's probably pretty smart that Thomas Schrader went ahead and jumped on when he did. If I was the staff, I would have probably given him an ultimatum, right? Hey, you don't have to decide this weekend while you're on campus. If you need to go home and think about it for a little bit, okay. But by the time the dead period is done in the month, we're going to need a yes or no, otherwise we're moving on. Because you've already been up here four times. Either you believe in us or you don't. And uh, so that was – that's what happened as far as as far as him committing. I, I don't think they gave him an ultimatum. Anyway, good player. Um, I, th- I really – one thing I like about Schrader is his balance. He doesn't really seem to get off balance. He seems to always be able to, to deliver a blow. I like that. He's rated as a three-star. He's one of the guys who, who I think could creep up potentially – into four-star status and, and a good building block uh, piece for this team. Um, and, and I'm sure his family is really happy. For those of you who wonder, like, why did – why was Louisville so in this? Well, 
Dwayne Ledford, who was the the offensive line coach at NC State and just put a bunch of three stars in the NFL in the recent draft and in the recent couple drafts, uh, Dwayne is now the offensive line coach slash OC at Louisville and had been recruiting Thomas at NC State for quite some time. So he really had a good, good long-term relationship with Ledford, but it does seem like Clements was able to close that that the gap of relationships uh, somewhat, considering Clements has only known him for like six months. So that's my that's my Thomas uh, Schrader take. Uh, one other uh, public uh, public commitment that became uh, known over the weekend is uh, from a, actually a former UF commitment, Morvin uh, Joseph out of uh, Lakeland, Florida. A little bit of a undersized athletic defensive end, uh, but a kid that uh, was up around the way and felt comfortable making a commitment on uh, Saturday evening. Yeah, uh, credit to credit to Odell on this one, Coach Odell. Really good job. I, I like Mormon Joseph as a player. I, I think he's a guy that offers you some explosiveness off the edge. Really a relentless guy, though. Uh, he's very ripped. He can bend around the edge. He's a playmaker. I like him. I, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you he should be like a top 300 kid nationally, but I think he's rated like six or seven hundred nationally, and and I I will disagree with that. And I think if you guys. Uh, if you're longtime listeners, you know that I don't come on here and do the thing where I'm like, oh, every Florida State kid is underrated. Um, I'm not into that. But I do think Joseph is somewhat underrated. Clearly, there's some things that, that Florida saw in him, uh, you know, despite the fact that he decommitted from there. They did continue to pursue him some, although I think they wanted him to make a decision either way. Uh, Florida State did a really good job recruiting Joseph, who's out of Lake Gibson, like you said. He, he said a couple of really interesting things, and Morvin does not hold a lot back. I don't know if you, did you catch this interview I did with him? Yeah, not a ton of ton of filter on Mr. Joseph currently. So uh, maybe I can just read this to you here. Um, this is pretty funny. Yeah, got it right here. All right. Uh, media. Uh, so Morvin said, every time I come, it's the same. Like, I get closer to them. They show me love. I feel home. Media. We hear that a lot from these recruits. It feels like family. It feels like home. Uh, what do they do to make it feel like home for you? Joseph, you just get a good vibe. They keep it straight with you. It's a good vibe. Media. Working with Coach Odell. I know you guys go way back. He's from Polk County just like you. What is it about him that, that you like about his coaching? Uh, Joseph. He knows what he's talking about. You know, uh, he's been through my shoes. He's been through the same place. Uh, so that's what it's like. And, of course, Odell is from Polk County as well. I, I looked up to him. Um, and said that he made it uh, the way he came, I did. Media, are you close to a decision? Joseph, yeah. Media, when do you plan on making that decision? Joseph, real soon. Media, what has sped up the decision-making process for you? Joseph, I'm ready. I'm just waiting for for the time, like a good time. I got to go back and talk to my people to make sure. I know what school it is. Media, is it in Tallahassee? Joseph, <laughs> literally, that, that's how that went, too, with, with like the p- little pause there. Uh and Joseph is, just has a huge smile on his face the whole time here. Uh, Joseph, I can't tell you. Media, if it's not Florida State, who is the other top contender? Can you tell us that? Joseph, I really can't say that. I'm not really looking at another school right now. I was only looking at two schools, Tennessee and Florida State. Media, so are you still high on Tennessee then? I mean, not really. Joseph laughs. <laughs> Joseph, that's a hint. So that's a hit. Some kids like to play poker. Maybe, maybe not Mr. Joseph. He's willing to willing to put it out there. He also he said something really cool. He's like, so you know, how's your feeling around the players and the commits? And he said they're all close. When I was at Florida, it was not like that. It's different over here. It's like a family of brotherhood. When I was in Florida's class, 
we were, we were all spread out, didn't talk a lot. But FSU's commits, they they say they talk every day. Uh, and he said he got invited to the uh, the FSU commit group chat. And then continuing because he's not committed yet at this time. Uh, Joseph also said he revealed his, his official visit plans. He said, yes, I know where my one official visit will be, Florida State. Okay, do you know when that will be? Well, I can't do it until December. The commits are going to do it as a group. All right. A lot of uh, mm. So at this point, I made sure that our pre-write, yeah, I made sure our, our little pre-write draft on Tomahawk was ready because uh, I had a, I had a good feeling based on context clues that Joseph might commit uh, and soon. He also revealed that uh, that Florida State was switching to a 3-4 defense. So, um, Willie Taggart, not so quick to to, uh, to say that at AC Media Day. Morvin Joseph, extremely quick to say that outside of the, the indoor practice facility. 3-4, uh, yeah, that's what they told me. Okay. So, anyway, that's a good get for the defense. They badly need some pass rushers on this defense. If they are going to go to a 3-4 like, like Morvin has told us and like other people have told us, obviously – uh, that would be a very good thing to have some guys who can stand up and do that. He's an athletic kid. I, I think he fits pretty well. So three commits public over the weekend. An excellent start for Saturday Night Live. Three public commitments. Uh, fantastic. We'll get to a couple other kids that uh, Florida State might have some positive news uh, surrounding. We'll give a general breakdown as to uh, – kind of traction that they made with some of the more uh, significant prospects on their board. Uh, before we do that, I want to uh, thank and also congratulate our friends at Madison Social. Um, uh, look, if you're looking for a place to, uh, to tailgate prior to the Boise State game, always want to send you to fsujackstailgate.com. Uh, but as of today, you will no longer be able to select a food option. Uh, food options have officially sold out. Uh, north of a thousand one hundred tickets overall at this point, uh, but it will be drinks only. So uh, great people to work with. Uh, encourage you to go get the twenty dollar uh, ticket there. Uh, two drinks. Bud and I will be doing some kind of live podcast uh, or live conversation. We'll put it that way. I don't know that it'll be recorded and distributed, uh, but just very much looking forward to seeing as many of y'all as possible uh, with Madison Social and uh, 27,000 square feet of uh, indoor air conditioning uh, tailgating. Y'all are incredible. We sold out a tailgate with a month to go, for at, le- at least for the, for the ticket with the food option, which is smart. A day of tailgating, you, you, you should get some food. But, hey, there's only so much food can go around. A thousand of those tickets sold is is pretty impressive. But we still want to see the rest of y'all. We do have – do we know how many we have left for, for the drinks-only tickets? I don't know exactly. I, I'm, I'm almost – look, we don't need to brag about them anymore, but I, I think it's a great thing that at the end of July you, your party uh, planner can also identify that they've maxed out on the ability of how, mu- how much food they can dependably serve and uh, just professionals. They know what they're doing, great people to pair with, uh, great people to, to put some faith in when it comes to the hospitality industry uh, and all that they've done in college town there. And we look forward to seeing as many of you as possible in Jacksonville. It's it, it's going to be a blast. And uh, look, these food tickets went faster than we thought. If you want to go to this, FSUJacksTailgate.com, I wouldn't wait too long. All right. Go, go ahead and, and, and jump on, the, on those tickets, even though they only have drinks, not food. 
positive vibes from our our sponsors there, Bud, and positive vibes uh, for two kids. Uh, one making a commitment here in the next. Uh, 24 hours, probably the next 12 hours after uh, this podcast gets uh, publicly made available. But why don't we start the conversation with Jalen Knighton, a talented kid at Deerfield Beach, Florida, uh, somebody that we've spoken about a, a couple times previously on the Nolcast. Yeah, so I got to tell you, Florida State staff was hopeful that Jalen Knighton was going to come up, but they were not uh, they were not totally convinced he was coming in, until fairly shortly before the event. There was a lot of negative momentum uh, with Knighton going into the event, being that he was a kid who had seemed seemed to be, you know, kind of uh, easily swayed by the most recent visit, which up until that point was Ohio State on an uh, official visit up there. And uh, a lot of Ohio State folks thought that they had him sewn up. I, I don't know for sure if he gave some sort of silent commitment to uh, to Ohio State, but a lot of the picks began rolling into Ohio State very shortly after he left his visit up there. He's been a priority target for Florida State at the running back position. Running back has been a major position of need because Florida State did not take a scholarship running back last year. You can go back to previous episodes around signing day when we discussed how they kind of got around that by taking a a walk-on who actually had legitimate offers from from a lot of big-time schools, uh, or or at least D1 schools, um, to, to help them on the roster without actually allocating a scholarship for it. This year, they want to take two or three, and the top guy, in my opinion, on their board, and I think if you gave this staff truth serum as well, uh, probably in their opinion, is Jalen Knighton out of Deerfield Beach. Really good player, very athletic, uh, but but not a scat back. He, he's, he's got some muscle to him now, nice compact frame, catches the ball pretty well. A guy I think fits this offense incredibly well, clearly a priority target for Florida State. And uh, at this point, unless something changes, and I mean, we should, for Time-stamping reasons, this is 8.45 in the evening, Monday night. So could something change in the next uh, next 12, 16 hours? Yeah, it's possible. At this point, I, I would project him to Florida State. Uh, I think everybody over there feels really good about that. They feel like like they, they really made sure to go over how they would use him and to make him feel part of the family. We're, we're going to kind of get into a, a larger – a macro discussion about that and and how that all went down um, after we talk about these two. But uh, like you said, Willie Taggart had put out two ring rings that were not backed up by commitment tweets or, or, or graphics or edits from the players. I, I got a pretty good idea who those are. I think one is Jalen Knighton and the other one is Brian Robinson, a, a guy who I think you and I saw last year some for sure when we were watching some of Greg Dent's highlights because uh, he is Greg Dent's uh, teammate, one year younger, Akeem. at Palm Beach Central. Gosh, I said Greg again. Damn it, Akeem. He is he's Akeem Dent's team, or he, he was was Akeem Dent's teammate at Palm Beach Central, and also uh, a teammate of his on Florida Fire, four star receiver, uh, Knighton, by the way, four star. So some higher rated kids here to be sure. Uh, Robinson's a guy who, who likes Florida State a lot, much like Knighton brought his mom up, and that was really important. Uh, Robinson brought his dad up for the first time. And I actually got to talk to his dad a little bit. And, and the dad liked Florida State uh, a whole lot. So I believe he's the source of the second ring ring. We'll see when uh, when Robinson decides to go public uh, with that. But, but I believe those are, are likely the two. Very tight with Ron Dugans. Dugans gets the credit uh, for this one. Robinson was previously committed to Miami. He is a Miami decommit. Uh, and I think everybody thought once uh, – 
Once Dugans left Miami for Florida State, this was probably just a matter of time given their tight relationship, given the the tight relationship with Akeem and also with Ardarius, uh, Akeem's cousin, and with with Samuels and the guys who were, who were on on Florida Fire. Uh, I just think that was just a matter of time. The night and one surprised me some. Uh, now, once he showed up on campus, I obviously thought they had a chance. With Robinson, it, to me personally, I, th- I think Ingram, it was just really more uh, of a matter of time for them. But uh, anyway, very good news for Florida State on that front, assuming that, that they follow through and, and don't uh, don't have a last-minute change of heart. Again, we don't know when Robinson's going to go public, and Knighton is scheduled to announce something on Tuesday. So FSU, if they get that, would be a, a huge victory for them at a major position of need. All right, bud, uh, before we get into kind of a more broader logistical review of the event and just get more of your kind of firsthand perspective of the event as a whole rather than prospects, uh, why don't we take a time to thank our friends at uh, Resolution Home Loans and uh, introduce a little bit of a, a new product or at least not a new product, but a new program that they have uh, to make uh, make themselves even a little bit more attractive to certain parts of the population. Absolutely. So, uh, first of all, thank you Resolution Home Loans, no doubt. Shannon Young, best loan guy in the business. You need to go to him. I have my loan through them. It's the way to go. All right. We also have, I think, three new listeners who are doing closings soon, so I'm going to have to make sure we actually have the T-shirts that fit them. If not, I'm going to have to order some new T-shirts. This is a cool program to tell them about here. Again, 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. Resolution Home Loans is a subsidiary of Hamilton Funding. All right. They have this program called Hamilton for Heroes, which is pretty cool. It used to be just for military. And what it is, no lender fees on a variety of loan options, VA, FHA, USDA, conventional, and a couple more. Applies to both purchases and refinances. Dedicated, dedicated service tailored to you in appreciation of the valuable ways you serve others. So that's always been pretty cool. I think we've mentioned that on the program a time or two before, and, and we do thank our, our servicemen and women, especially those serving overseas that are away from their families. But as a son of a firefighter, this is kind of cool to me too. They've actually expanded the Hamilton for Heroes program now, not just military, police, fire, EMT. How cool is that? So if y'all are, are police, fire, EMT, uh, I checked, uh, no TSA. I, I asked Shannon, so not, they're not quite there yet on that. They're trying to add nursing uh, as, as maybe a, a fourth option. But police, fire, EMT are now included in the Hamilton for Heroes program, so very cool there. Again, no lender fees. That's a big deal. It's a way to save some money. Shannon's great to work with. He'll help you throughout the entire process and figure out the right way to structure your loan and loan application. 844-FSU-LOAN or FSUHomeLoans.com. Check them out. So, Bud, we're, as always, uh, fortunate to be able to lean on your uh, recruiting uh, expertise in general, but uh, your uh, position with both Tomahawk and, and SB Nation took you to Tallahassee over the weekend. So why don't we just kind of have a little bit of a five-minute open mic uh, for you to just describe uh, what you saw, how you thought it was structured, uh, the organization of the event, and uh, just give people as, as good of an idea as to how you saw uh, kind of Friday evening and Saturday play out uh, from a from both a recruit's perspective and uh, somebody that kind of, you know, pays previously referenced mortgage uh, based off your, your knowledge of the recruiting game. Sure thing. So I, I thought they did a really good job with this event, right? I'll, I'll start just as a last comment on the previous things we were saying. 
Florida State is recruiting right now way better than a five and seven team should recruit. And I know it's Florida State, and that certainly has something to do with it. There's name value, there's program prestige and history, and and, and good recent history too, despite not good like super recent history the last couple of years. That helps, but but this staff is and has always been a good recruiting staff. There were some obstacles that I think they struggled to overcome at times last year. And I think they had some missteps last year that if they could have a do-over, they would probably do differently. Um, if the, the, those breaks had gone their way last year, they probably would call me an idiot and, uh, and and be bragging about all the guys they signed. But specifically the organization of the event I thought was good. Uh, this year they were, they were better, I think, having the name tags all, all pre-printed, right, for – not just the player, but but everybody in the player's party. I didn't see any issues as far as like, hey, who are you? Any sort of like uncertainty as to who should be let let into the building, who shouldn't. Uh, the greetings were even were, were more efficient than they were last year. And I don't know if, if that is one that is actually an improvement or if it's just a circumstantial thing. In that last year, they had like 74 and five stars on campus. And there's only 10 coaches on a staff or, well, nine back then. But like it, it's impossible to greet everybody at the exact same time, right? You're going to have some people standing around waiting to be greeted at least a little bit. This year is a little bit smaller event, a little bit less flash. Uh, I don't think that was necessarily an improvement or not. But because it was a little bit of a smaller event, I think they were to they were able to greet everybody in a little bit more of an organized manner. Um, and it was, I think the scheduling and the planning of it did run better. Things were more on time. The event started on time as opposed to last year. It, it did start uh, kind of late. One thing that I put out on Twitter on the Tomahawk Nation account was the photo of the, the bounce houses slash like bouncy slides that they had set up inside the indoor practice facility. Um, that's a really hard detail to miss Like once you get in there. But it's something you may not have thought about beforehand. And a lot of Gator fans on Twitter were like, oh, that's so stupid. Florida State's literally a circus. And, of course, they have the Circus College there. So that's that's an easy shot to take. I'd, I'd probably take that anyway if I was an opposing fan. But, you know, the cool thing about that is, well, Willie Taggart and his staff are trying to talk one-on-one with parents or parents and recruits. You know who's not there tugging on mom or dad's arm and saying, I'm hungry, I want to go home and, and all this kind of stuff? his little brother or sister, because they ran over there. Not only that, they also had cotton candy set up. So they had a cotton candy and uh, and, and ba- bounce house and bouncy slides set up around the perimeter in, inside the indoor, indoor practice facility. And that's that's a great way to make sure you get some undiv- undivided attention for your recruiting pitch. So I thought the organization of the event was a little bit better, maybe a little bit more focused. Again, it's hard for me to totally tell simply because last year you had so many crazy elite kids there that I, I don't think you can give, give everybody one-on-one attention quite to that extent this year, a little more efficient, but, but I, I think it was, uh, both events were, were very effective. Uh, this was effective in a little bit different way and may, maybe a little more repeatable. Fantastic. So, uh, good to be able to just get your opinion as to what you saw a uh, little bit of improvements made, uh, something we've talked about, and something that I get the feeling we'll continue to talk about as long as this staff is in place is kind of the the strategy. It's a little bit of a poker uh, analogy where you just kind of push all your chips into the table on this one weekend or kind of 10-day window here uh, where maybe you, maybe you lose a little bit of a 
impressions uh, or the ability to make impressions on people in June and you kind of bank on this massive weekend certainly appears to be paying good results for him. It, it paid good results last year as well. And this event by uh, by all accounts was a, a very big success. But why don't we just kind of put the, the final note on that strategy and you can give your opinion with a little bit of a hindsight as to how it played out this year. Yeah, exactly. So last year we kind of said the same thing going into this, right? Man, this is risky. But it's also something they've done for a long time. They did it. They did it at Oregon. They, they did something similar at USF. They really try to focus on this one big event for the summer. Um, it does, from the outside, appear that they're kind of not maximizing June. Now, if you talk to the staff, they'll tell you that they are that, that that's not true, and that they do use the June camps for for evaluation purposes, and and that this is, you know, they can't come out and say this, but. The the effect is basically this is like an, an invite only type thing, even if it's not totally invite only, because you can't do that by NCAA rules. It has to be open. Uh, but like basically everybody at this camp would be a take. Everybody in the June camps, they're, they're trying to use it for more for evaluation purposes. So if that is the actual intent, then my criticism, right, and I will say their overall summer grade, I would give them a very high grade because they did get the elite kids on campus. It happened at the end of summer again, but it doesn't matter. Whenever you get them on campus over the summer, you got them on campus. Cool. It's Tallahassee. I don't expect you to be able to get these kids on campus multiple times in a summer in a place that's hard to get to for a lot of people as Tallahassee. My one criticism would be that I do think they need to do a better job of getting more kids, especially more young kids, to their June camps. Because if they're going to treat July like this, which they do a really good job of, and I want to stress that. I'm not being negative here. It's just how could they improve? They could get something more out of June. I think Penn State does a really good job of this where they have a similar setup. A lot of their a lot of their current class kids come in at the end of, of summer. And at the beginning of summer, they have a lot of the underclassmen kids who they're going to be evaluating for the next two and three years come in and get introduced to them. It, I wouldn't mind to see the first camp in June – be solely an underclass camp and the second camp in June uh, be a camp where they evaluate guys who maybe then get invited to Saturday Night Live. Now, of course, the logistical concerns with that are, hey, like it's very hard, for, I think, for some of these schools, if they're coming via bus or if the coach is driving to say, yeah, I'll, I'll come back to back weekends, one weekend for my underclassmen, my other weekend for this kid. Uh, so you could probably run that at the same time. But I think they could be more efficient and even better if they got more out of June and just put a little more emphasis on June, not necessarily with the elite prospects, but just to be able to cast a wider net and identify more guys in June. And overall, that's not a criticism. It's just where they could be better. Their overall summer grade, though, is very good. They are doing better at the end of summer than I thought they were going to do. And a lot of people think I'm already high on this staff, judging by our emails. A lot of people think you've seen it. I thought that was – that's kind of my only real criticism. Another thing I thought really, really worked well, at 2 o'clock, you know what they did? They said, okay, everybody who's not committed to us, go chill somewhere else for a little bit. All right? This is a commits-only time. So commits and their family and our family, our staff and our support staff. We're going to meet. We're going to talk. We're going to discuss. We're going to talk about our vision for the future. We're going to talk about how we can grow as a family. They took a, a family picture together, or a lot of them, actually. Um, this, I think, was a really, really cool thing they did, and it's something that helps to, to drive home their message, right? They sort of closed ranks and said, all right, if you're in, 
you're in. You're in for the bumps in the road and you're and, and kind of that don't be a fan later attitude, right? Um, you know, uh, which works really well messaging like that, not so well social media wise if you happen to run a school account. Like actually happened this year. That was surprising. Anyway, I, I think that was really big to get all the commits and the parents on the same page. Um, you know, which brings us to another thing I, we have down here on the outline, but did it surprise you that they were able to get a lot of these kids who we thought were going to wait longer to see improvement, that they were able to get them to pull the trigger? Uh, it, it did. It did initially, yeah. Although I, I certainly see the chain of events that kind of lead to uh, some of these kids committing. And I think we did a – or you did a pretty good idea as to uh, the offensive tackle out of, out of Venice, how he might have – uh, might have just seen situations play out in front of him that encouraged him to uh, move up his timeline a little bit. But uh, this is a real kind of standard cliche to say, um, and it doesn't mean that it's not true, but, man, I, I'm not sure I've seen a class recruit itself as well as I've seen this one do in a long time. Uh, and, and it started with the Sims commitment and how active he's been, but um, he's not – uh, he may be your bell cow. He's not an outlier. I'll put it that way. This staff, or excuse me, this class uh, recruits for itself in a manner that a lot of others, at least that that I've seen recently, uh, haven't done at all. And uh, and and we've talked about this since day one. This this staff, when it's able to, is is very good at recruiting. And uh, when it can put an event like this on, uh, they tend to do quite well. And I can certainly see how they can make a positive impression and kind of kind of get more two or three more people to head in a direction uh, than maybe they thought they would, or at least uh, that they thought they would with a public commitment. So th- this is a three-pronged approach. You hit on the first one, which is recruits recruiting. Th- this is going to sound kind of fanboyish, but I'm just going to say it. I got to tell you, man, there is a palpable feeling up there right now, not among the veterans, at least not all, but but some of them certainly, but the young guys. You got young guys around there who who care and kind of have like a sense about them of like last year wasn't okay, all right. And and this isn't this isn't gonna be okay. And and the dudes. So I was talking to somebody who's connected to the program, and, and he was basically talking about the upperclassmen. And he's like, "Look, I I'm glad they're gonna continue to cycle out. We got a lot of these guys who committed here under Jimbo and, and thought, okay, cool, I'll be able to smoke weed before I, before I go to workouts." And my talent will just carry me through and I'll get drafted and the teammate thing doesn't really matter. I'll just hang out with the dudes who, you know, who I want in my clique. Uh, and I'm still going to get to the NFL regardless of winning. Those guys are starting to cycle out. You know, give it another year, I'll, even more of them will be out, especially as some guys decide to give up their, their senior year of eligibility. I, I do think that there's a pretty – noticeable trend of the guys that Willie has brought in, they, they seem to like football and they seem to actually care about winning and about recruiting others. And it's not just like one or two guys, you know, it, it, it's, it's not, Hey, uh, Hey, you know, Sheffield, can you host every single recruit? Right. It, it's, it, it does seem like to be a little more team effort. And while I do question some of the top end ability on, on some of these, uh, some of these guys they've signed, I do think the intangibles are better. And that matters because they're recruiting guys right now. The, the current commits in the class, I would say, have that very similar attitude. 
in large part, they haven't had any decommitments so far. We had a buyer sale question on that last week in our popular buyer sale segment. And I said, eh, I'm going to sell it. They're going to have a decommitment or two, but I don't think it's going to be a ton unless something really weird happens positively or, or, or negatively with the class. We already said this staff is a good recruiting staff, and that, that's that's true too. They really are. But there's a third element here, and I tweeted about this a little bit from the Nolcast account, and, and I think this is really important. Like three or four years ago, there was an Ohio State class, I remember. Um, and I was out at the opening out back when it was or- in Oregon, and like the cheering section for Ohio State was just nuts. And I was like, all right, like who are these losers that followed Ohio State commits out to Nike headquarters in Be- not even in Portland, in Beaverton, Oregon, and uh, and are like cheering on? I, mean, I don't know, just because I'd have better things to do for my summer vacation and fly out and cheer on some recruits. But I, I realized now it's not. It, it's the parents. They have like a super tight parent group. They are all in on the message of Urban Meyer, um, which insert comment here later on. But uh, anyway, the parent group was very key in this. And and I wonder exactly what was said in sort of that commitments only meeting. Um, But there's a big deal because it's kind of easy to sway a kid sometimes and, and make him believe something. Parents are naturally more skeptical. And in order to get the parents to believe and to sign off on something, you you have to, I, I think, having the other parents of the current commits say, hey, yeah, these guys went five and seven last year. At times, the offense looked like they didn't even know what they were doing. And yet, this is why I'm committing to the process here. I'm allowing my son to say yes to Willie Taggart, despite the fact that he has these other offers that on the surface are just as good or better right? Maybe it's the personal touch. Maybe it's it's the thing that Willie really does care that guys go to class and graduate. Um, maybe it's they feel more like family, more like home. Maybe they, they have a greater trust in him to take care of their kids. Maybe they just think, hey, I really love Kendall Browse, Randy Clements, and the new offense is going to hum. And whatever it is for that parent, I, I really believe the parents of the current commits did an excellent job of convincing the parents of the potential commits. Because Brian Robinson was a kid who told us for a long time he was going to wait, and, and he wanted to see more out of Florida State before he committed. Okay, And yet now we're thinking he, he could pop at any moment publicly. Well, his dad loved the visit. I talked to his dad because he, he pointed over there when I, when I was interviewing Brian, and he said, this is the first time I brought my dad up here. And the dad's all decked out in Florida State gear. Um, and... You know, I said, did you grow up a Florida State fan? He said, no, I was really more of an NFL fan growing up. I really wasn't into college football. I said, what did you think of the visit? Because I'm, I'm just extremely, extremely impressed. They, they really care about these young men. You know, I, that's not lost to me. I really think the parents of this group are, are fairly tight-knit together. Maybe not every single one with every other one, but the, the parents sharing the message of why they, they went ahead and, and gave the green light for uh, for these kids to commit to Florida State, I think was a pretty big deal. Did they did they also not have some parents of uh, of players on the roster as well? There, uh, I, I thought I'd read a little bit about they that did. as well. That's a great a great um, point to make, Bud, and and that's a real you know when you when you get a message uh, 
when you get a, a kind of a sales message uh, from from somebody that you know is not directly tied to the organization, uh, sometimes it can land at a at a place that uh, that a GA or an assistant coach or a head coach even even can't deliver. And you're you're you make a great point to uh, point out some of the skepticism of, of parents and maybe a little bit of a hesitance to believe buy in a message. And uh, yeah, that that is a, a third point to a very uh, a very successful recruiting triangle that was uh, put in place over the weekend. Absolutely. So uh, two other things here in kind of our, our general section before we're going to move on and get to sort of some standing with major prospects. Uh, we have a lot of people asking us, and we're not going to do the Q&A session tonight because we're, we don't want to have an hour and a half show. Uh, I have to get some sleep. But do you think they can keep these kids in the fold and, and prevent them from visiting? And that's a really good question. And my honest answer is, assuming that we have Knighton and Robinson pop soon, uh, my honest answer is I, I don't know. That might depend on on how well the season goes, right? If Florida State goes 8-4 and four and shows some promise and starts scoring some points, then then maybe, maybe those guys stay in the fold and, and, and never waver. Certainly FSU's approach this year – is, is different, right? They don't want kid to, kids taking visits elsewhere. They don't want kids committing if they're going to take visits elsewhere. You know, they, they don't want to screw around with that this year, and I, I think that makes sense. Given the amount of negative recruiting that the staff has had to endure for, I think, a number of reasons, including their on-field performance last year uh, and, and the image of that on-field performance, they want to make sure that the, the group they have is very tight-knit. And right now they feel like that group – is very tight. And in fact, I think that that tightness, tightness of the group and the fit of the group is going to be a continued consideration in who they take. In fact, in my head, I'm not going to say this because I don't want to make it sound like this kid's a a bad kid or this kid's not quite as, you know, whatever, this kid's chasing a bag or or whatever. Um, I think there are certain positions where they're going to have, they're going to have to say, okay, this kid is slightly more talented than this kid, but this kid's way more of a sure thing as far as character and commitment. And they, they may elect to go with, to go the, the other option there. Um, but I, that's something I'm going to be watching for sure. The other thing I wanted to point out was they're at what, 18 commits now, I think, or what do they have? I'm trying to keep the number straight in my head. Cause I, I have the ones that are public and then obviously, um, with Knighton and uh, and Robinson. Okay, so they, they have 19 right now, but they're going to be at 21 commitments potentially this week. That class is not done, but they're probably 70% done, 75% done. They can be picky from here on out, but they can also start to focus their attention a little bit more on the 2021 and 2022 kids who were there. They've done a pretty good job of, of being picky and and – uh, not taking just anybody in this class and making sure that the, the kids who are in the class are, are all in, uh, but actually filling the numbers and, and building this thing up pretty well. So that was that was something that kind of struck me. They're they're almost at a full class. It doesn't feel like they're playing catch up, kind of like they were uh, certainly in, in the first year with the abbreviated early signing period, but also last year after everything started to fall apart, it did feel like they were playing some catch up. Florida State's in a in a positive place where they're able to be uh, kind of picky with how they uh, fill out their class ultimately, and we'll talk about uh, some of the seven, eight, nine kids that might uh, be some of their final targets. But uh, pretty fortunate to be be picky ourselves, Bud, and uh, want to take a, a second here, real quickly, to 
announce a new sponsor. Uh, it is Travis Johnson, attorney at law, not not the fantastic defensive tackle who chose uh, Florida State over Michigan on signing day, but uh, Travis Johnson of Pensacola, Florida, uh, Florida State alum and somebody that we've uh, been in conversation with for a little while and very proud to kind of officially bring him into the Nolcast family. I vetted him personally myself because he plays in my fantasy baseball league and is an excellent fantasy baseball player. But in all seriousness here, right, we've, we've had a lot of lawyers um, come and ask to advertise with us, and we just felt right with Travis. So Travis, he practices family law. He's one of only 280 board-certified family law attorneys out of 110,000 licensed attorneys in the state of Florida. He's AV rated. He's on super lawyers. He's taught university classes. He's presented at CLEs, which, if you all don't know, those are continuing legal education courses. Travis can handle a wide variety of family law needs, right? Whether you just need a practice form or you might need some high-end litigation. Maybe you need some appellate work done. Practice throughout the state. Travis Johnson is the guy to go to, in my opinion, for your family law needs. You can reach him at 850-435-9919. That's 850-435-9919. Or go to MetterJohnsonLaw.com. That's M-E-A-D-O-R johnsonlaw.com and again we thank travis for signing up very very excited to spread his message and uh, that's a big commitment of our own yeah really somebody that we look forward to working with and uh travis we thank you for your uh, your trust your support and uh we look forward to working with you in the uh in the season to come and, and hopefully the years to come but there's there's no bigger prospect on the board uh, than Savelle Smalls, at least from a national perspective. Uh, number one at uh, his position group, depending on where you look, certainly a top five linebacker, no doubt. Uh, but a kid out of Washington State, uh, Kennedy Catholic is the high school. Uh, pretty strong relationship with Trayshawn Harrison, if I remember correctly. And, uh, you know, Florida State certainly appeared to make some make up some positive ground over the course of the weekend. Indeed. Uh, so with, with, with Savelle, man, this kid is freaky. All right. So I, I was out there in, in Cali. I'm working on a couple different uh, – I can't go into this too much because it's from a main employer. But I'm working on a couple different projects involving, involving California and the, and the changing landscape out there. And I was out there for the Adidas West Coast uh, National Championship Tournament – or Regional Championship, excuse me. And uh, Savelle is playing on this team uh, from Washington, which, which is a really good team. I think it's Trayshawn Harrison's old team, actually. And, and they, they they run through it. And, and Savelle, who's really a monster. I mean, he's like six, just eyeballing him, like 6'4", 250, maybe 245. He, he's a natural kind of defensive end slash maybe stand-up, like like outside backer, jack type in a 3-4, which is a perfect fit for Florida State, by the way. But he's playing middle linebacker in seven on all throughout this tournament. And this team is doing a really, really good job. And normally, you put a guy that big out there in a seven-on game, that's death because they're just going to pick him apart. Now, in the championship game, they did, I will say. that They they finally got a guy, guy on him who's one of the West Coast best receivers, and that kid ate his lunch. But guess what? That's a defensive end asked, being asked to cover a four-star receiver repeatedly. After running around all day, those big guys are, are going to get a little bit more tired. The tournament, I think, was from like 10 a.m. to 6, 6 p.m. So that to me, yeah, they ate his lunch in the final. But I was very impressed that that kid was able to play in pass coverage like that against some very good players throughout the day. 
and his team was still able to move on and, and progress. If you watch his film, it's just the size-speed combo as, as well with, as the aggressiveness and the, the violence of the hands. There's a lot of things kind of going in Florida State's favor here, and I'm not saying that they're the favorite, but they're definitely going to get a, a return official visit. Um, he is former teammates with, with Treshawn Harrison, so that's a big thing. He's, he's very comfortable when he's on campus. In fact, he was there before Jeff Sims was on the day because he, he came in on Thursday. And as, as Jeff Sims, the quarterback and leader of the class, rolls up, uh, he got out of his dad's truck and then walked up. And uh, Savell goes, QB1. And Jeff goes, take that do-rag off because it, it, it was blue. And I, I don't know if he if, – if, anyway, I think Sims was just messing with him. Um, some people on Twitter thought it was like a Gator thing, but it, as far as I could tell, it wasn't. There's a certain comfort with, with, with Savell on campus already. He does seem – he just seems to kind of act like one of the players already. So uh, that's typically, to me, a really good sign. Um, A&M's on him. I know Bama's on him. I think Clemson's on him. It, this this is not going to be an easy pull. Because this staff has recruited him literally since he was a freshman is, is a pretty big deal, I think. That long-term relationship, the fact that you have Trajan Harrison on campus, who by all accounts is happy, is progressing as a player and as a person and academically, uh, I, that's the reason, in my opinion, why, why Florida State has a shot. That the long-term relationship from when this staff was at Oregon – and the comfort factor there and and the trust factor. But that he was the number one kid on campus this weekend. And he's yeah, like Savell would come in and start for them day one, in my opinion, especially if they moved to that three, four, they don't have anybody on the roster like him. He would be a difference maker. Uh, another kid who may have a chance to start uh, immediately offensive tackle Isaiah Walker. Uh, Walker's an impressive prospect. Uh, made even all the more impressive by kind of the old school uh, boys to men flat top that he rocks. Uh, certainly a, a unique looking kid, uh, but uh, a guy who again was on campus seemed to have a really good time, and Florida State seemed to put in a lot of positive work into ultimately getting a signature uh, come uh, come signing day. There's no doubt. Walker's a very good prospect. Um, now, in the interview, he did not really tip his hand. He said, uh, no leaders, everybody's even. It's a big three battle. No decision is going to come anytime soon. I think he's a kid who will go the distance, which begs the question, will Florida State go the distance with him? And my answer to that at this point is I believe, yes, they will. FSU now has four offensive linemen. I think they would like to take five high school linemen and then leave a spot open for either a junior college player or an instant impact grad transfer. Uh, I would try to take two, in my opinion, of the grad transfer types simply because Jalen Goss does not appear to have developed it much physically at all. And now that, in my mind, he's at least a year behind schedule, you're going to need somebody who can come in and play to replace Ryan Roberts at the tackle position, most likely. But Walker... It's very good they got him on campus. He was doing this thing where he's like, I'm not going to announce where I'm going to show up. Uh, he went to Florida on Friday for Friday Night Lights. Then he came over. He spent Friday night late in Tallahassee. He spent Saturday night in Tallahassee. And I know he was supposed to stop back at UF on uh, on Sunday on the way home to Miami. I don't know if that actually happened because I was driving and didn't get to see. But uh, FSU, I think, made a pretty good impression on him. But – I'm not ready to say they're a leader or the favorite or anything like that. 
Uh, just he's a guy they're going to have to continue to recruit. They're going to have to continue to show the message, hey, improvement here, coaching, and also playing time. Like, look at the tackle death chart here. At, that's kind of, I think, I think what eventually sold Schrader. Like, hey, he Schrader actually told me, I don't want to, I don't want to sit and wait till my third year to play. I'm okay with sitting a year. I don't want to be sitting for two full years before I have my shot. So anyway, that's uh that, that that's Isaiah Walker. Not a whole lot of substance to that update, unfortunately, but he also didn't really offer any. Yeah. Yeah, seemed to seem to enjoy himself. Uh, vibes overall seem to be positive, but uh, a kid that uh, Florida State is going to have to work with until uh, either December or the first Wednesday in February, it looks like. Uh, a kid, a running back prospect, Juwan Edwards, out of uh, out of Colquitt County. At the time, this has uh, been a little bit of the Moultrie cast, uh, more than it has been the Knoll cast, but uh, uh, a high school and area that we've certainly spoken a lot of over the last six months. And a, uh, and you just kind of know what you're getting out of a kid uh, like Edwards. South Georgia prospect plays, uh, like I've mentioned previously, uh, in probably the most competitive region in, in Georgia high school uh, football. And a hard-nosed kid who uh, appears to be a four-star across the board. Maybe not a game-breaker, but a pretty kind of known commodity in what Florida State would potentially be getting in Edwards. He said, uh, he said Florida State is at the top right now. Uh, I would take this kid right now. I would just – I would take him and, uh, and Knighton, and I know that Florida State would like to take three. But uh, if you only ended up with two and those two are, are Knighton and Edwards, I, I, I think that's a home run. Very athletic kid, low to the ground, like you said. Maybe not like the, lo- like the best long speed in the entire world, but, but a really tough, hard-nosed football player – I think a smart, pretty smart player. I had not seen him before in person, and uh, and, and I, I like Dewan Edwards a lot. He's also he's also teammates with uh, Carter Boatwright, the off the gosh, I almost said off the tackle, the tight end who Florida State got out of Colquitt County. That kid, his frame is huge. He's I think he can stay at tight end, but he's going to be two sixty uh, if he's announced pretty soon. Like that that dude is is big. I was joking with his mom about about the grocery bill relief she's going to get. Uh, pretty soon when he goes off to college because uh, that that's a big guy and and he still kind of has that like young looking face and you know another 18 months it's going to be boom uh, another running back prospect that was on uh, on campus over the weekend kid out of Clearwater Florida uh, Kayvon Lee uh, big big physical back here 5'11 6 foot 220 uh, depending on where you look a, a guy that uh, Penn State, LSU appear to be involved in, uh, but uh, uh, another another talented prospect who was in Tallahassee over the weekend. Exactly. Uh, Florida State is squarely in this race. Uh, I think a lot of it's going to just depend on when does he want to shut it down? Is he a player they would actually hold a spot for uh, or, or would they take somebody else? I, I can't answer that. I will say you mentioned Penn State and LSU. I completely agree with those two being primarily mentioned. However, all of us recruiting analysts standing around agree that Florida is one that should not be counted out here. He was once a UF commit. He's still tight with a lot of the Gator commitments. I think he just committed to them uh, too early and didn't really get to go through the recruiting process. So I would not count Florida at, in my mind, sort of just thinking about him, it's sort of those four, n- not just those three. I-, I don't know that Florida State is like the leader for him, Um Penn State's done a good job on him as as they have with the next guy we're going to talk about. But 
FSU made another good impression on, on Kevon Lee, and that's like his, I think, third visit on campus this year. So you, you keep getting kids on your campus, good things tend to happen. Yeah. A uh, prospect that you just referenced was uh, Kaziah Holmes, a kid out of Cocoa, uh, Florida. His uh, teammate went ahead and made it official, committed to UF. Is that right, uh, the offensive lineman, bud? Um, so uh, looks as though those two prospects will ultimately be going other places. Florida State's involved, but at this point, and I'll certainly let you correct me if I'm wrong, at this point it's more or less an assumption that uh, Kaziah Holmes is, is – most likely headed to, to Happy Valley for high school. Yeah. Or for college, right? And I didn't Excuse necessarily me. think that they were like a, like the package deal or anything, um, but it does seem like, like Jawan Sider has done a really good job with, with Kasai Holmes. Uh, most people expect him uh, to end up at Penn State. Like you said, uh, he's, he's a top back at the state of Florida. You're not going to get them all, and Florida State feels like it has done a good job recruiting, I think, four or five backs. In my opinion, they really have to land two. I know they would like to land three elite kids, but that's, you know, hey, uh, wish in one hand and, and you know what in the other, right? <laughs> uh, just, just get your two. If you end up with, with Knighton and, uh, and, and Edwards, I, I think Florida State fans and the staff should be extremely happy. Uh, one final 2020 running back prospect, a kid that uh, I believe this news broke today that he's going to be coming in the next couple of days prior to the uh, dead period that goes in place on Thursday is the uh, Lawrence uh, Tolafili. Is that how Tolafili, I pronounce his last yeah. name? Uh, Pinellas Park prospect. Uh, again, another four-star running back. Uh, basically, all these kids are, are not rated the same, but are kind of all in one big grouping of uh, prospects and uh, Toa Philly's another kid that uh, a little bit of a different situation in the fact that he wasn't on, on campus over the weekend, but uh, somebody that will be coming to Tallahassee uh, here in the next 24 hours. What, what do you think was behind that? Do you think it might have been all those other running backs who are elite backs getting up there on, on Saturday Night Live and, and the, the staff showing them some love, maybe, and uh, realizing uh, yeah. yeah, windows can close can close quickly, man. All of a sudden, it became a major priority to get up there before the dead period hits. Hmm. Just, just speculating it's here. Worth, worth noting, absolutely. Anyway, I, I like him too. He's a good player. Like I said, Florida State has done a good job on a number of running backs uh, this year. The question was going to be, do they do a good enough job to be first place on any of these running backs? Because there's no prize for second place. And right now, it appears they probably could be first place for a couple of them. So that, that's very good news. Good stuff. Most of that conversation was based off uh, 2020 prospects. Two kids that we'll talk about uh, real briefly, 2021. We referenced that uh, the staff will have a chance to turn their uh, attention to some of the future classes uh, as they kind of start to solidify 2020. Um, If you've seen any video recently, it it doesn't take a whole lot of – uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of eyeball for talent to realize that this uh, wide receiver, the the Hall kid, a uh, 21 wide receiver that Dugan's rightly so seems to be pretty infatuated with, is probably one of the three best uh, receiver recruits in the class and somebody that Florida State has done all they can to put themselves in as good a position possible. Yeah, uh, Ajay Hall is – he's ridiculous, man. I, I think he's actually – he's the best receiver in the state right now. And I know there's a lot of kids who are, are a year older than him in the 2020 class, but but Hall is a 2021 kid, and you just don't see the combination of 
quickness out of a tall guy. So that they, that kind of one step acceleration out of a tall player that you you typically see in a short guy because they have sh- you know shorter legs that can take quicker steps. You don't see this like quickness savvy body control combo in addition to the long speed that you see with Hall, and that's why he very well could be the number one receiver in the country next year. Uh, Florida State was not in his top 12 when he put that out, so that's disappointing for them. But uh, he keeps showing up on campus, and he said some really good things. Yeah, his follow the visits is is not indicative of somebody that doesn't have Florida State in their top dozen. And I, I'll certainly agree with you on that. Now, I got some intel here. This is, this is a this, I think this is a scoop because nobody else is around when I asked him. Because everybody said, hey, what, what's your major? And I think everybody thought he he said, I want to do music and engineering. And in my head, I was like, oh, no, engineering. It's kind of the kiss <laughs> of death recently, right? Because it's I, – I don't want to trash Florida State's engineering program, but it's been a thing that, that other schools have been able to successfully negatively recruit Florida State on uh, when they know a kid wants to do engineering. But guess what? Hall does not want to do engineering. He wants to do music engineering. So, like, music production and, and engineering of that, not double majoring in music and engineering. This is a totally different thing. This is actually kind of what Leon McQuay, remember that name? That's kind of a throwback from, I don't know, six, seven years ago on the podcast, like 2012, maybe 2011. What what year was the Hargrave class, or uh, Vernon Hargraves? Is that, 20, is that 2012 mm-hmm. class? I think that was 11, but I could be wrong. I mean, we've been yeah. doing this for a long time now. Uh, but remember, Leon, how we, we were talking about, hey, don't count out USC because they actually they have that program out there where you're actually going to be like a music producer. And Hall, I, I was talking to Josh Newberg, who you know is, is connected with Team Tampa 7-on-7, seven seven, which is where Hall plays on. He's like, he, he kind of reminds me of him in, in, in some ways as far as personality, and he's a little more talkative and outgoing, but – Yes, so Florida State does have a good music program. So this is not like the engineering kiss of death that we typically see when uh, when a kid's like, oh, I want to be an engineer. I'm like, all right, well, not Florida State. Cross that off the list. He's freaky right now. I would say if you could take Clemson or the field, I would probably take Clemson. Uh, they do such a good job with the receivers up there. By the time he commits, they're going to a couple of their really super studs are going to be out, and they've obviously had a lot of success with, with receivers. Uh, literally from Tampa. Uh, most of them they got back when Lawrence Dossi was allowing them to escape the state of Florida. I uh, shouldn't use the word escape, but basically FSU was not keeping them home. And then so Clemson built up a reputation that if you're a receiver from Tampa, uh, you can go to uh, you can go to Clemson and kill it and get drafted. So that's going to be a thing that they have to overcome. Uh, one 2022 prospect, and trust me, we try not to get too far in front of ourselves, but uh, is it Dayon Bowie? Is that how you pronounce that, bud? Uh, yeah, but it's he's got a better name, though. P- hit me with it, please. Smoke. Ah, oh, Smoke. Okay. Well, I can Sm- Smoke Bowie. Yeah, I can imagine where that comes from. Uh, super talented prospect. Look, projecting kids two years away is uh, not the easiest thing to do, but a, a kid that looks like he'll be a top 30 prospect uh, nationally. And he's uh, the good news is, is that he's from uh, kind of south southwest Georgia uh, in Bainbridge, Georgia. The bad news of that, I will tell you, is that is uh, also the high school that one Kirby Smart hails from, and that's going to be a tough, tough thing to overcome, I imagine. Indeed. Uh, 
Look, Smoke Bowie is just fun to watch. If you just like football and you want to watch ridiculous highlights, go go pull up some of Smoke Bowie. It, I got to see him for the first time in person down at the 2022 or 2022 or 23. I think it was 2022 uh, All-Star Game down there in Naples, Florida, where, where they bring in the top freshmen in the country. And he did not win the MVP of the game uh, because they gave it to the guy who kept blocking all the punts and, uh, and and looked like he was about 35 years old. But he was probably my second choice for MVP and just running around the field like crazy. He's he's a special player. Even, even if he doesn't grow at all, uh, he's he's really good. He's, he's going to be a major difference maker with the ball in his hands, but he also plays defense. I know he was playing some some corner uh, at FSU's camp. Got to chat with him a little bit. We were talking about sneakers and how it was cool back when when the opening was actually at Nike's headquarters as opposed to, you know, Jerry World, which feels kind of stale. And for any sneakerheads out there, not that I'm really one, but I was I was showing him the old Bo Jacksons with the strap. Mm. Remember those? Oh, yeah, I do. Um, so he was very – very much a fan of those because uh, that was during the period where they had just the commitments inside and they had some of the non-commits in the other area. So I was able to interview him a little bit there. I got one more for you, by the way, if, if we got time. Most certainly. Uh, Holden, I think it's Gariner or Gariner. I thought he might have been, relative to age level, the most impressive uh, quarterback at the camp. He's already 6'3", 180. Uh, Florida State, he has a listed offer from Florida State, which uh, he got back in their June camp. Man, this kid zips the ball. He, he's out of Savannah, uh, Benedictine, excuse me, Benedictine Military School? Yeah, yeah. Um, so over in Savannah there, decent athlete can really throw the ball. Uh, if, if you did not tell me that he was a freshman, I would have thought he was probably a junior or senior. So definitely caught my eye. Very impressive kid there. Um, man, we're already over an hour, dude. Like almost an hour and ten now. This is the show has flown by. I feel like we're gonna have to do another one of these soon. A lot of a lot of good things to talk about. Good to have some uh, positive news and all uh, on the on the whole, a really well executed uh, Saturday Night Live event. And uh, it'll be fun to watch how the how the staff and how this plays out. They've certainly put themselves in a uh, a really good place. Uh, I point out that they. We're in a similar situation last year, and uh, yes, the record was uh, detrimental to their overall recruiting efforts, but they also had some stumbles that hopefully you can get out of the way as a first-year staff. Recruiting during the season versus recruiting in the summer is a little bit of a difficult uh, or a little bit of a different proposition, and uh, I'd love to see this staff uh, grow into a place where they're able to keep some of this momentum and uh, hopefully put together a a class that is – indicative of of their efforts so far so good to be able to have a discussion with you get your opinion uh get your just evaluation of the process and hopefully give people as good of an idea as to what the saturday night live event was and where florida state stands after it absolutely a huge success for florida state potentially a turning point and one last thing here since you brought it up do you think the difference in expectation for these recruits is different than the expectation of the kids who not necessarily were committed, but were maybe had Florida State in the lead last year. Like, I don't know. It, it almost seems like the kids are committed now. They're probably not expecting Florida State to go out and win the ACC, you know, yep. and, and to yep. look amazing. I think they just want to say, okay, you know, Coach Taggart, we want to be part of this rebuild for you. We want to be part of the next legacy. Just show us some improvement. Give us a reason to believe, not light the world on fire, uh, 
in, in, in year one. So I like I don't think that this group is expecting them to go out there and go ten and two. But damn, if they do, uh, look out. Yeah, I think that's a great point. A, a little bit of a different expectations and uh, a little bit of a different idea into the program that they're buying into uh, and that they're part of the rebuild. And look, if you commit to a team that's uh, five and seven the year prior, you realize that they're probably not going to go out and go 11 and one uh, your senior year. There's an understanding that uh, that there's a need for you there. And I think that's a great point you make that there's uh, probably a little bit of a, a different perspective on those kids uh that'll make up the 2020 class versus maybe some of those that decided not to be part of the 2019. No doubt, man. I'm, uh, I'm excited, excited to keep covering this and excited for some very cool stuff we have coming uh, with, with the old cast here. Expect a lot more very soon. A lot of good stuff. I'll end with a real quick story being that we were talking about bouncy houses and uh, I didn't put it in the podcast previously and it's been the back of my mind the whole time. Uh, Bobby Bowden, a legendary recruiter in his own right, was uh, famous for recruiting the moms and recruiting uh, brothers and sisters uh, as well. And I'm pretty sure was it uh, it was either Derek Brooks or oh my God. The guy played safety for the Pactors, invented the Lambo Leap, uh, Leroy Butler. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was, I think it was Butler, but uh, famous last uh, minute in-home visit where a kid was on the fence between Florida State and two other schools. And uh, evidently Butler's sister was so fond of Bowden that she came, sat down on the couch, and she was like a nine, ten-year-old girl, sat down on the couch, ended up falling asleep in Bowden's lap during the final in-home. And uh, just a comfortableness and uh, ability to recruit the whole family, which sometimes ends up getting you the signature of a four or five star prospect when maybe you wouldn't have otherwise. So, yay for bouncy houses. All right. Hey, I, I know we said la- last thing, last thing, last thing. That's a great anecdote, too. Lamont Green. Remember Lamont Green? Oh, USA Today Defense Player of the Year, Lamont Green. So, uh, I got to tell you, Lamont Green Jr. Lamont Green Jr. is going to be a player. Lamont Green Jr. is uh, about as big as his dad and is, I think, 13 or 14 years old. Just kind of one of those names. Like, if you, if you do what I do in my job, like, you don't usually pay that much attention to 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds. But, like, oh, okay, yeah. Uh, you have Lamont Green Jr.'s DNA and, obviously, great coaching. And you are, good Lord, 14 years old and look like that already. Okay, note to sell. So, yeah, that's one to keep an, keep an eye on. Florida State obviously gave him a lot of attention. Also, a shout-out to uh, Omarion Cooper, a guy from uh, back in my old hometown, 239, a kid I've been very high on for a number of years now. He's now a junior. Came out and balled out at, at, FSU, at FSU's camp and uh, earned the offer and uh, really impressed Dion as well, uh, who was on, on hand to watch. And with that, we'll officially probably really done. bring an end to the NOLCast. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, been a good one. We'll have a, another podcast to you guys hopefully in the next five days or so. Uh, thank you, as always, for the support. Uh, you give us a lot of fun for us to be able to do this. And uh, we look forward to look forward to leading up to August and us to officially transition our uh, uh, transition the NOLCast to what I believe will be its 10th season uh, covering Florida State football. So, fun times. <laughs>